Welcome. Parshish Re'e, the Torah tells us, or actually repeats for us, the halachas of the Evid Ivri, or his female counterpart, the Amma for Ivriya. And Evid Ivri is, I think, best translated as a Hebrew Jewish uh, indentured servant. Although the word Evid is sometimes translated as slave, there is really not much comparison, not much similarity between an Evid Ivri and what we conceive of to be a slave. The Evid Ivri works normally for six years, and then in the seventh year is set free. The Amavriya, under various circumstances, very often will work even less than six years, but she reaches the Bas Mitzvah age, she goes free. Uh, she can also be married by the, by the master or the master's son, and then she becomes a full-fledged wife. Uh, she has other ways of ending her servitude. So to call these people slaves is really a, a misnomer, but they are indentured servants. Let us see some of these halachas. Most of them, many parts of this uh, have already been stated in Parshish Mishpatim, but here the Torah is going to introduce at least one, or, uh, really two, important new points. When it will be sold to you, your brother, an Ivri, a Hebrew, a fellow Jewish man, or a Jewish woman, he, or really she, will serve you for six years. And in the seventh year, you must send him free from yourself. So the Eved Ivri works for six years. In the seventh year, you must send him away. When you will send him free from, from yourself, you shall not send him empty, meaning empty-handed, but rather, you must grant him gifts from your flocks of sheep, and from your threshing floor, meaning you must give him gifts of grain, and from your wine vats, you must give him gifts of wine. That Hashem, your God, has blessed you with. You must give to him. This is called the mitzvah of Ha'anaka, that you must grant certain gifts to the evidently. Rashi discusses that it's even more than just a sheep and grain and wine. It's many other types of things also. And he directs us to the Gemara in Meseches Kedushin, which talks about how much from each species, but it's a quite a generous send-off. That's the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Pasik Tezvot. Zacharta ki evet And you will remember, you shall remember, that you were an Eved in the land of Egypt. And Hashem redeemed you. Al came, therefore. Therefore, I am commanding you this thing today. Regarding this mitzvah of Hanukkah, there are two Rashi comments, which I find somewhat puzzling, and I'd like to discuss them and try to understand them. The first one is on the words, Hanik Tanik, you shall surely grant gifts to this, uh, to this epic. Now, the word, Laha'anik 
is not a word that appears, I don't think, anywhere else in Chumash. It's certainly not a common word in Tanakh. So Rashi comes to explain what it means. Anik Tanik L'shoin Edi. This is an expression of an Edi. An Edi is a ornament, a piece of jewelry, or some ornament. The Gova, that is at a height, it is high up on the body. The Marisa Ayin, and within the sight of the eye, meaning it's not some ornament worn on uh, someone's uh, foot or leg where perhaps nobody can see it anyway. This is an ornament that is worn maybe around the neck or, or on the head somewhere where it is very visible. Rashi's explaining that the reason the Torah uses this word, anek, um, provide a visible um, ornament to the Evid is in order that the gift that you give him should be nikar. It should be recognizable and obvious that you have given him such a gift. It can't be just, uh, okay, here's a dollar. Uh, nice knowing you. And thank you for all your hard work. Here's a dollar. That, that wouldn't really be nikar. That would not be recognizable that I'm doing him any kind of favor. But the Torah is commanding us here that we must grant him a gift that is recognizable. That's Rashi's first explanation. The Yesh Mefoshim, there are those who explain, This word ha'anek is an expression of loading something, of putting something on to someone's neck. I think here Rashi is referring, there is a word, anak um, is a word that is used in certain places in Tanakh to mean a necklace. Uh, so Rashi, the, the, the Yesh Mefoshim are connecting it to that word. Even so, it is not far from what Rashi is saying because a necklace also is something that is on the upper part of the body and it is very nicker, it is very recognizable that you that when a person is wearing it. So here, the Torah is commanding us not just to give gifts, but it must be of a certain type and it must be done in a certain way that it will be nicker, that it will be recognizable. And the obvious question is, why? Why would this be so? Why does the Torah insist that it must be nikar? A second Rashi on the last Pasuk, Pasuk Tezvav. Pasuk Tezvav uh, tells us a reason why we should do this mitzvah. It says you should remember that you were a, an Evid in the land of Egypt and Hashem, your God, redeemed you. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this. Now, what is the connection? Okay, I used to be a slave. All right. Hashem took me out of that situation. Why does that mean that when someone is a servant to me and he finishes his term of servitude, that I have to spend a lot of money and give him a lot of gifts? What's the connection? So Rashi says, When you were in Evid in Mitzrayim and I took you out, and I granted you gifts, the Shanisi and I did it again. I did it a second time. Mibizas Mitzrayim. I gave you the spoils of Egypt. When you left Egypt, you borrowed from them. Borrowed, quote unquote. You borrowed from them all kinds of gold and silver. And there was a spoils at the Yamsuf. The, the Egyptians came with their chariots and they ornamented 
their chariots with all sorts of gold and silver in order that the soldiers should be more dedicated uh, and not give up. And all of those spoils ended up with Kalal Yisrael. So I granted you, and I granted you again, tremendous wealth when you left Mitzrayim. So Afatoh, so Rashi says, you also, Hanek Ushnelo. You must grant to the Evidivri gifts, Ushnelo, and you must grant them even more. It's not just one gift. It's It's from a lot of different types of things. It's not one gift, but it's another gift. Again and again. So Hanek Ushnelo. Grant him gifts and do it again. Okay, so Rashi is, is uh, inserting into the Pasuk, the, the point that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out of Egypt, he not only took us out, but he gave us very valuable gifts. So too, you have one of your brethren leaving his servitude to you. You, you have to let him go. That's like Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And you have to give him Hanukkah. That's like the, the wealth that HaKadosh Baruch Hu granted to us when he took us out of Mitzrayim. That's the Rashi. The obvious question here is, is that Rashi is inserting this into the Pasuk. The Pasuk doesn't say it. The Pasuk doesn't mention anything about how Hashem gave us gifts when we left Mitzrayim. It simply says, you were in Evid and Evid's Mitzrayim, Hashem and Hashem redeemed you. Therefore, I'm telling you to give to do this mitzvah of Hanukkah. It's what we call Ikar Chaser Menasefer. It's like the main point is missing from the text. Rashi has to say, well, it really meant that point, but it's, it's missing. If the Torah meant to say that, why didn't the Torah say that? Now, it's true that the Pasuk says, therefore, I'm, I am commanding you this thing. So there has to be some connection between the exodus from Egypt and the Hanukkah of the Eved Ivri. So Rashi had to say that it must be the Pasuk is really referring to the spoils that a Father Shvorachal granted to us when we left Mitzrayim. I mean, otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. But still, why didn't the Torah mention the spoils? Why did the Torah leave it so, so unclear and leave it to Rashi, so to speak, to, to explain what it really meant? If the Torah is really talking here about Hanukkah, this Pasuk Tesvav, it should have said so. Those are my two questions on these Rashi's. In order to answer these questions, I think we need to go to a Pasuk in Parshas Kisisa, which on the face of it has nothing at all to do with this mitzvah, but we'll see that there is a connection. The Pasuk is uh, telling us some very important mitzvahs, and this is what it says. Kol every or all of the firstborn of your sons, you shall redeem. As we'll see in a moment from Rashi, this is the mitzvah that we are familiar with, Pidyon Aben, that when a, when, a, when a mother gives birth to her first ever male child, if, the, if, her, if her first ever child is a male child, so the father has a responsibility, he must go and pay a koyen a certain amount of, uh, certain amount of money to redeem the child from the koyen. Uh, that's uh, many, there are many questions about that. What would be if he didn't redeem the child? It doesn't mean the, the Kayan walks away with the baby. But this is the mitzvah called Hidyan Aben. That's the first part of the Pasuk. 
And then the Pesach says, They shall not appear before my face empty-handed. Now, what's that about? The, the, the mid, the, the, normally when we talk about uh, appearing before the face of Hashem, normally that would be talking about, uh, that reminds us of Sukkim, about the mitzvah of Aliyah the Regal, of going up three times a year to the Beis HaMikdash and appearing before HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Beis HaMikdash. Now, that has no connection to, um, to the mitzvah of Pidyan, Pidyan, Pidyan Haben. Pidyan Haben is done anywhere. It does not have to be done in the base of Mikdash. The money that you give to the Kayan doesn't, he doesn't have to take to the base of Mikdash. It's just a deal between you and the Kayan. So Rashi will talk about this. First, let's just, just see quickly how Rashi explains the beginning of the Pasuk. Kol b'chor b'necha all the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. Rashi says, Hamisha sloyim, Five sela, five sela coins. The redemption of a firstborn son is kotsuv. It is set. The fee is set at five sela. Shenemar, as it says the Pasuk in Bamidbar, His redemption at the age of one month, you shall redeem. And it says over there, five sloyim. Okay. And they shall not appear before my face empty-handed, says Rashi. According to the simple meaning of the Pasek, this second half of the Pasek is a Dover Bifnei Atzma. It's something by itself. It's something separate. It has nothing to do with the Pidyan Bechor. It is not returning. It is not referring to the Bechor. Because in the mitzvah of Bechor, there is no, it says here, Rias Bifanim. I think it should probably be Rias Panim or Ria Bifanim. Okay. In the mitzvah of Bechor, there is no seeing of the face of Hashem. One does not have to go to the base of Mikdash and be seen by Hashem in the mitzvah of Bidyan Bechor. Ella, rather, what are these last few words in the Pasuk talking about? It is a different warning, a different imperative. And it is saying as follows. When you go to Regal, when you go to the base of Mikdash on the three festivals, Pesach, Shuas, and Sukkot, to be seen by a Kodesh Baruch you shall not appear before my face empty-handed. Rather, mitzvah It is a mitzvah is a commandment upon you to bring a korban oila, a burnt offering, which is called the oilas re'iyas pana. This is a, an, an offering that you bring in honor of your appearance in the base of Mikdash, so that you shouldn't have come empty-handed. Okay, that has nothing to do with what, with what we're discussing in this Shia. According to the first Pshat and Rashi, which he says is Shuta Shomikra, the second half of this Pasuk is simply talking about some other topic. However, the fee midrash brisa, according to a midrash that he found in a brisa, a brisa means a statement of, of a tana, of a Mishnaic era rabbi. Uh, there were many, many um, statements and they were collected in various collections. Ultimately, uh, Rabbeinu Yehuda HaKadosh uh, took from the various sources and he established the Mishnah as we know it today. And uh, certain statements made the grade and were inserted in the Mishnah, were included in the Mishnah. 
and certain other statements were not. That doesn't mean that they're wrong, and it doesn't mean that they are not halakha, but he wanted a very concise um, work. He wanted the Mishnah to be, to be concise and fairly easy to remember and relatively easy to write down. And ultimately, other things were left in their old collections. There are collections called the, the Tesefta and uh, the Sifri and the Sifra are also Bryce's. And um, there are some Bryce's that are just kind of floating around, quoted by the Gemara here and there. Okay, Rashi tells us there is a Brysa as follows. The Brysa says, Mikra Yaser Hu. This Pasek, or this part of the Pasek, Lo Yehu Fanai Rekom, is a Mikra Yaser. It's an extra phrase. Mufna Lixera Shava. It is Mufna, it is open to make a Xera Shava from it, meaning it is for the who put it here so that for the express purpose that we should compare it to some other place that uses similar words and to see a similarity. These words are coming to teach us about the ha'anoka, about the gifting that must be given to an evid ivri, what we've been talking about. It's coming to tell us that when you give these gifts to the evid ivri, it has to be five sela from each species. So you have to give sign, for example, you have to give from your sheep, you have to give five cellar worth of sheep. You have to give uh, um, grain, you have to give five cellar worth of grain, and so on. Everything is measured in five cellar. Pepidya in Bechor, similar to the redemption of a Bechor. The beginning of the Pasuk says that you have to redeem your firstborn son. And the price for that is five cello. So the end of the Pasuk is hinting with Xerah Shava that when you, uh, when you send out an Evid Ivri and you have to give him gifts, the price is five cello. But it's not five cello total. It's five cello from each and every type of product. And Rashi ends the Mesechus Kedushin. This is found in Mesechus Kedushin, Daf Yudzai. Okay, very interesting drusha that these last few words, not so much lo yeru, but the reikom, this word reikom is a hint to the mitzvah of Hanukkah that we have been talking about. It's telling us that Hanukkah is measured in five cellar units, five cellar worth of this, five cellar worth of that, and so on. Okay, now this Pasuk and this Rashi is also puzzling. Why would the Torah place this hint about the mitzvah of Hanukkah in a Pusik that's about something else entirely, in a Pusik that is about Pidyan Aben? I mean, Akodesh Warhu, the, the author of the Torah, could have put it anywhere. He could have put this hint into the, he could have put this uh, law into the psukim that we're reading today, that we're learning in Parshish Re'e, the psukim about, uh, about uh, Hanukkah, the psukim about Ever Ivri or could have been put in Parshish Mishpatim, where the Torah talks about evidence. Why did the author of the Torah, capital A, author, why did the author of the Torah put this law in a Pasuk about a completely different mitzvah of Pidyan Abed? And I think the answer is that the Torah is teaching us that when you free an Eved Ivri, it is in some ways 
a sort of a pidya. It is a redemption. What do I mean? Now, not, well, that's for surely true. I mean, the, the, the Bukhar is somehow, some spiritual sense is somehow owned by the Kayan. The father redeems him by giving five shekels. The Ebed Ivri is literally uh, owned, although not, uh, not as chattel, but he is in, a, he is in servitude to, the, to his master. And um, when the seventh year comes, the master frees him. So he is redeemed from his indentured servitude. But what this Pasuk is showing us, this Pasuk here in Kisisa, is that the Ha'anaka of the Evid Ivri is not just a, a chesed, not just a kindness. When the Torah says, give Ha'anaka to the Evid Ivri, it doesn't just mean that, um, well, you know, he worked for you for seven years, and, uh, you know, we should be nice to people. He's leaving your home. How's he going to make a living? Uh, be nice and give him the following gifts. I'm sure that's included. But this Pusik is telling us something more. This Pusik is telling us, I think, according to this drusha that Rashi is quoting here, that when you give these gifts to the Evadivri, that is part of the process of setting him free. Because a person who is not enslaved or not in servitude, but doesn't have a dime to his name, is also not really free. He's also going to be dependent on people. People are going to still look at him as somebody who is not in charge of his own fate. And he himself is going to retain a certain slave or servant mentality because he has nothing. He's not an independent person. He's not truly free. What, the, what I think the Torah is hinting, at, hanting to us in this Pasuk of Lo Come, according to Rashi's Brisa, is that the Torah commanded us to give Ha'anaka, to give gifts to the Eved Ivri, to complete his freedom, to make him a truly free man. An independent person who can stand on his own feet, who has at least some small basket full of assets, and he can begin life as an independent person. And Based on this, I think we can understand the first two Rashis that we discussed. The first Rashi discusses the meaning of the word Hanek. Rashi says it, it means to give somebody something that is nikr, to give somebody a gift that it's clear and recognizable, that it's a gift and that it is something important. And we asked, why? Why, why, why do you have to do that? Okay, we have to do it because Kodesh Baruch Hu said do it. But how can we understand? Why did the Torah tell us to do that? And I think now we can understand. Because let's say I slip the Ebb at $5 when he leaves my, when he leaves my household because his term is over. Okay, but everybody still thinks he's a slave or a servant. He himself is, really doesn't feel any difference. He, he feels he's still a destitute, dependent person. He still feels he's a welfare case. What does he have? He has $5, and nobody even knows that he has the $5. So therefore, the Torah says, Hanek Tanik, you have to give him an Edi, Bimarisa'ayan. You have to give him something that everyone can see, like an ornament that is clearly visible to the eye, so that society knows that he is now a free man, and that he knows he's now a free man, and that he can function 
as a free man. A free man meaning that he is not dependent on others. He can take care of himself. He can get started. He can maybe go buy something. He can, he can start a business of some sort. That's part of setting him free. And therefore, that can only be accomplished if it is something that is nikar sheheti vaisola. Only if it's something that is recognizable that you have bestowed some, some uh, significant goodness upon it. And now we come to the second Rashi. The Pasuk says, V'zachar teki evet ha'isa v'eris mitzrayim v'yiftecha Hashem alokecha. You should remember that you were a, a slave in Egypt and Hashem redeemed you. And therefore you should do this mitzvah. Rashi explains, what, what, what does one thing have to do with the other? Because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu took you out of Mitzrayim, he gave you Ta'anaka. He gave you a lot of gifts when you left, and he gave you a lot of gifts when you uh, when the Egyptians met up with you at Yam Suk, and you escaped from them. But the question is, where does the Pasuk say that? The Pasuk doesn't mention that. I think perhaps the answer is, since we are now saying that to free a slave without granting the slave or the servant any recognizable and significant gifts without, without ensuring that the Evid can now be an independent functioning member of society, to do so is, is to not really free him. That would mean you didn't really set the person free. Now, if the Pusik says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu freed you from, from slavery in Egypt, of course, it's understood that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it in a complete way. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't do a, a half of a job. Of course HaKadosh Baruch Hu is capable and, and will do the full job. What does the full job entail? The full job automatically, it implies that he, he gave us gifts, that he made sure that we are not still dependent after the official servitude has ended. Has ended. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of course, took care to see that we would be independent, that we would have our own means and our own self-respect after being freed from the slavery in Mitzrayim, because that is the definition of redeeming somebody from slavery. So therefore, we don't have Akasha on this Pasuk of Iker Chaser Merasefer, that the main point is missing. Saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu freed us implies automatically that he gave us also something akin to Ha'anaka. And this is how I think we can understand these two Rashi's. I'd like to end with, with one, one further thought on this matter. An Evid Knani does not get Hanukkah. What's an Evid Knani? An Evid Knani is a non-Jew who is sold as a slave to a Jew. He is a real slave. He is, a, he is the chattel property of the Jew. Um, there are many, many differences between Evan Ivory and what went on in the United States of America up until 1865. That's not my top topic now, but it was similar in the in the sense that it was real ownership of the Evid Kanani. Now, an Evid Kanani can also be made free. Normally, you're not supposed to free an Evid Kanani, but in certain situations, it uh, it was it was permitted uh, to free an Evid Kanani. Uh, for example, there, there's a story in the Gemara where uh, one of the great Chachamim was, was walking around with his Evit Knani, and it was time to daven Mincha or whatever it was. And he went into the shul, and there were only nine people there. There was no minion. So he freed the Evit Knani. 
Because when the Evid Kanani is freed, he becomes a full-fledged Jew. When he's in Evid Kanani, he has to do all of the mitzvahs, except those that a Jewish woman is exempt from. Mitzvah Sasecha is Van Brahma. When he is freed, he becomes obligated in all the mitzvahs. So the Vizchacham, the, the he freed his Evid Kanani, and therefore they were able to make the, the minion. So we see from that the Gemara, among others, that there is such a thing as freeing an Evid Kanani. However, there is no mitzvah in the Torah that you have to give to an Evid, to an Evid Kanani Hanukkah. You don't have to don't have to give him any gifts. You're a free man, that's all. Nice knowing you. Now, why is that? Now, one might just say that, um, well, you know, Hanukkah is a, is a chesed that HaKadosh Baruch Hu arranged for his beloved Amo Yisrael, and it is an obligation that we have, but only towards those who are our brethren. You know, the Evi is becoming our brother when you free him, but he's not our brethren, he's not our brother yet, or our sister, if she's an Amo Yisrael. So, well, maybe this is only something that uh, we were commanded to do for our fellow Jew. Maybe. But I think, based on what we've been saying in this year, we can understand it much more deeply. As follows. There are some very basic differences between the freeing of an Evid Kanani and the freeing of an Evid Ivri. When you free an Evid Ivri, so there is no document that you have to give him. You don't have to give him a star. You don't have to give him what the what the Mishnah calls a get shikhur, a document of freedom. And there is no real change of status. The Evid Ivri was a Jew. While he's in Evid Ivri, he's also a Jew. While he's in Evid Ivri, he could marry a Jewish woman. He could remain married to his wife that he had before he started his servitude. He is obligated in all 613 mitzvahs, just like he was obligated before. There is no real change in his status from being Ebed Ivri to now being a free man, other than the servitude itself. The Ebed Knani, by contrast, when you free him, you must give him a star, must give him a document that testifies that he is now free. And there's a tremendous change in his status. While he was in Evid Kanani, he was not chayyad in all 613 mitzvahs, and he was not allowed to marry a regular Jew. An Evid Kanani may not marry a regular Jewish woman, an Amavriya may not marry a, a regular Jewish man. When you free them, then their status changes dramatically. They become obligated in all of the 613 mitzvahs, and they can now marry a Jew. So there's a big change in status. In other words, if we would, we could somehow generalize this, somehow label the two situations, I would say that the freeing of an Evid Ivri is much more subtle than the freeing of an Evid Kanani. The Evid Ivri is a very small change. It's like he's changing jobs. Instead of working for me, now he's working for himself. Yevit Kanani is a huge and very obvious change in his whole status, in his whole identity. It could be that that's what, now, before we go to the, what I want to say, before we get to that, 
What's the reason for that? Why is the the freeing of the Evitani a much quiet, much more quiet and subtle matter as compared to the freeing of an Evit Kanani? Well, it has to do with the the, the intensity of their servitude. The Evit Kanani was was my property. He was uh, not going to say he was literally my donkey. He does have more rights than my donkey, but not a whole lot more. He's my property. Therefore, when I free him, a lot has to be done to make him free. And a lot is happening when I make him free. Yevid Ivri is a very mild state of servitude, very temporary, very mild. Therefore, to free him is a quiet little process. You say goodbye. Six years are up. Have a nice day. It's very quiet. And therefore, it could be that the Hanukkah is only necessary by an Evid Ivri. By an Evid Ivri, without Hanukkah, it would not be recognizable that he's a free man. No one would know even. If they think, uh, well, the master was nice, he let him go home for a day. Let him go back to his, old, to his, old, to his own family for a day. They wouldn't even notice that he's finished with the servitude. And the Evidibri himself would hardly notice that anything's different if he were just freed without Hanukkah. The Hanukkah is there to show to society and to the Evid himself that he, that he now is a different person. Although his change from Evid Ivri to regular Jew is a smaller transition and a more subtle transition, but it does, it needs something it needs to be known, and therefore you have to give Hanukkah to make it complete. The freeing of the Evid Kanani, on the other hand, is a, is a, is a volcano's force of change, and therefore it doesn't need anything else. The Evid, the Evid Kanani knows. Yesterday I was uh, not much better than a donkey belonging to a Jew. Today, I'm a Jew. I can marry any Jew, and I am obligated in all 613 mitzvahs he and society know very well, it's very obvious that he has gained this new status. And therefore, perhaps this is why the Torah did not command us to do anything extra to make society and himself aware of this.